Father, once again as we come to the ministry of the word, we just surrender before thy spirit, Lord. Animate us once again through your Holy Spirit. For me to speak, for us to hear what the Spirit says. To hear, to believe, above all, give us the strength to obey. Because your word says if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. Each passing day make us more willing and more obedient to the voice of your spirit. For you promised us and Israel that if you obey my voice and keep my commandments, then these blessings shall pursue you and overtake you all the days of your life. Help us to hear, Lord, what you have to say to us today. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We started last week from the book of Ruth because I believe the Lord was leading us in keeping in tune with the promise for this year that the overflow of the Spirit demands more consecration from God's people. And there is no book in the Bible of consecration that defines consecration like that little book with four chapters right there between Judges and First Samuel called the book of Ruth. The dedication, the consecration of a young Moabite, a Gentile girl. And incredibly, it's a story where she is led by God through the mother-in-law. We have all these jokes about mothers-in-law or mother-in-law. But God, it's an incredible story of a young girl, a young two, two widows, the young widow Ruth, being led by the Spirit of God through a very bitter mother-in-law called Naomi. Then talking about mothers-in-law, you can't help but have one joke, right? There was a young man who went to the Holy Land, Israel, with his wife and his mother-in-law. And during their trip there, unfortunately, the mother-in-law died. He wasn't a believer or anything, just a skeptic. So he asked the funeral parlor guy, the undertaker, like, what would it cost to ship her body back to U.S. for the funeral? He said, anywhere between five to ten thousand dollars. He said, okay. Then the man asked, why do you want to spend all that money? You, I can get her buried here in the Holy Land for $150. Then he said, but, he said, you see, I've heard this story. 2,000 years ago, somebody was buried here. Three days later, <laughs> he rose again. <laughs> I want to play it safe. I don't mind that expense. I'm buried her there.
But Ruth didn't want to bury her mother-in-law. She actually will see. She said, I want to be buried with you. Where you die, I die. Where you are buried, I want to be buried there. So the book of Ruth is a love story. Everybody loves love stories. It's an incredible love story and the story of redemption. Like I said, everybody loves a love story. I heard about an old pastor passing by a Christian girl's dorm and he saw a bunch of girls kneeling down and praying. And they were, he was listening carefully and said, wow. Then he, did they, did I really hear it right? They were saying, Lord, give us pure hearts, clean hearts, and Lord, give us sweet hearts. <laughs> and all of them said, Amen. <laughs> okay. So that's the book of Ruth. But the book of Ruth is written in dark days. Days of anarchy and days of apostasy. And right in the midst of those dark days, we see God at work. That the work of redemption goes on unabated, irrespective of what's happening in the world. The work of redemption goes in. And like I said last week, the book of Ruth begins with a famine. That's how it begins. If I'm right, Ruth 1 and verse 1, I didn't give you that reference over there. Okay, And you can skip back to, after that, the previous verse like we did last week. right? It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Just recapping briefly what we looked at last week. Okay, like I said to young ones, whenever you study the Bible, okay, first do an overall study and then go back and do words by words. Word by word. Word by word. Okay, simply coming back to little, little things which I have taught you before. Remember, you have to understand that's how language works. Even in a very simple sentence with four or five words. I've taught you this, I've taught in my classrooms, and I said, one sentence can have multiple meanings, right? This is my new pen. This is my new pen. How many words? How many meanings? Five meanings, okay? Remember, this, not this. This is my new pen. This is not was. This is my, not yours. New, not old. This is my new pen, not pencil. So when God says, seek ye first. Seek ye. No one tell your neighbor. Seek ye first. What? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek. That means search intensely. So that one sentence, if you divide it and change the stress, you will actually get. And you need to do it that way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, not just righteousness, because there is righteousness in every religion. Dharma is there in every religion. That's not what he's saying. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and righteousness. He didn't say, seek his righteousness. Understand, that's how you study. So in the same way it will be written. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine. 
When was there famine? In Judges rule. And the previous verse in the Bible with which this book ends the, and begins, the previous says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When does famine come? According to this narrative, when each one is king, when the lordship of Jesus Christ is not established, famine comes. And the famine is a test of the lordship of Jesus Christ. When famine comes, what will we do? Now famine, like I said, is basically lack of anything. Anything. In the Bible, it always signifies lack of food. But famine can be lack of love. Maybe you have famine in your marriage. You got plenty of money. Your yard may be parked with cars. Your house may be massive. But there is no love. So you're going through a famine of love. Or your house may be extremely loving, but you have no money. Or you may be an extremely loving husband and wife, but your children are incredibly rebellious. Famine can be anything. Lack of anything. And you will see, that is why God teaches us through scripture, how do you handle famine God's way? So we will see, there was, Bible will talk about the book of Genesis, there was famine during Abraham's time. Abraham did something. There was famine in Isaac's time. Isaac did something. There was famine during Jacob's time. Famine in all these three. All of them didn't do the same thing. It was different. But there is an answer when famine comes, what God actually says through Pharaoh. In that case, the Pharaoh becomes God's spokesperson. And God speaks through Pharaoh. When famine comes, what we should do first. In Genesis 41-55, when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. The Pharaoh said to the Egyptian, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. So what should we do when famine comes? Run to Jesus. Whichever area of your life you are facing lack, answer lies only with one person, our heavenly Joseph. Nobody else. Nobody else. He's the only one who has the answer to famine. He's the only one who has plenty in his granary. He's the only one who has abundances in his kingdom. And the Pharaoh tells, go to Joseph. And two, it's not enough to go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. You have to do what he says. And Joseph, what he says is very difficult to do. If you look at it. Why? What is the interest of our heavenly Joseph? The interest of our heavenly Joseph is first and foremost and ultimately to get the lordship of everything and then give the kingdom to his father. Once he has got absolute loyalty and lordship of everyone who comes into the kingdom, then he takes the kingdom and gives to the father and says, Father, your kingdom has come, now rule. That's exactly what Joseph will do by the end of the famine. Every soul in the land will belong to the Pharaoh. Understand, that is one of the reasons smart Christians don't go to Jesus. Because they know 
you go to him, we know what he will ask us to do. Because they want to be like the time of judges. Each one was king in his own eyes and he did whatever he pleased and then famine comes. Famine comes. So famine is a test of us. Famine is a test of our heart. Famine is a test of the lordship of Christ in our hearts. It's as simple as that. If you are a young girl or a young boy, young in the terms of young compared to me. But you have started panicking. Both, oh, Sabah, you also got engaged. Lord, when will my number come? When will my number come? Number, number. As if God is doing lottery there. And you start panicking. It's a test. Will you wait? Isaac is 30, 31, 35, 36, 37. Doesn't move. My father knows. He will make a move. He's not telling Eliezer. Eliezer, go tell this father of mine. How long will you keep this boy waiting? Isn't he growing? Isn't his hormones kicking? No, nothing. We sometimes try to send these signals through other people. My father knows. I will wait for the appointed time fixed by the father and my father will pick a girl for me which is according to will of God for me. No more. Okay? Famine can be different famines. So the book of Ruth today we will study is all about choices. It's all about choices. There was a classroom over which a kid had written a plaque and kept. No one is born losers. Everyone is born as a chooser. No one is born a loser. All are born as choosers. So today's title of the message is Born Choosers, Not Losers. If you end up as a loser, it's because of the choices we made. God never gave birth to a loser. No. That's how the book of Ruth begins and will end. Robert Frost in his famous poem, I mean many of his poems are very well known, poem called The Road Not Taken. He says, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Everybody, as they go through in life, will come to a fork in the road. Then you have to choose. You see a well-traveled road. Then you see a less-traveled road. People don't realize at that fork, whichever turn you take will ultimately decide where you end. So young and old in this house, listen. You are free to choose. You are not free not to choose. Everybody is free to choose. Nobody is free not to choose. Everybody has to choose. You cannot say, I don't want the freedom to choose. No, brother, sister, you have to choose. You are free to choose. 
but you are not free to choose. And when you choose, you are not free to choose the consequences of your choice. You are not free. You can only choose. The results is not in your hands. It is not. So when you make a big choice in life, you make a lot of other choices along with it. You make a big choice in life. Let's, especially let's talk about the young people sitting over here. All these young people sitting over here. Okay. A big choice you will make is in class 12. Big choice. Academically, life. In class 12, my combination was maths, physics, chemistry. 12th is over. Got fantastic marks. Had to make a choice. Choice was engineering, commerce, English. Family said engineering. College said commerce. I made the first real choice of my life. I said English. It changed my life. I believe if I had made any of those choices, this wouldn't have come. Simple. 12 is a very defining moment for a young person. And it should be prayerfully taken. Now because you are believers. I wasn't even a believer then. You're all believing kids. You have heard the word for a long, long, long time. I personally believe that a God whom I did not know then, but who knew me, had ordered my footsteps to make that choice. But that choice led to a lot of other choices. That's what we looked at last week in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Three women on the same road. Three women, same road. If you look at them on the journey, all three are headed in the same direction, going back to the land of praise, the land of Judah. But there are many, many, many on that road. Many, many on that road. But how many will end their journey as a winner and not as a loser is the question. That's why the power of choice. There was a pastor who was traveling and I think he was at the airport where he saw two women and he went to them and he shared the gospel with them. Very old man, very nicely, lovingly shared the gospel. And he had just a few minutes left to catch his flight. And he asked, would you like to receive Jesus? Can I pray with you? One said, yes. The other said, I am not ready. And he said, when you say you are not ready, do you really know you are saying no? And she said, no, I am not saying no. But he said, you are neither saying yes. When you are not saying yes, you are saying no. He said, well, I am going. Will you shake my hand? She said, okay. He said, okay. If you are saying yes to Jesus, shake my right hand. If you are saying yes to the devil, shake my left hand. She said, no, I will not shake either. And a lot of people think... By which they have remained neutral. 
But in the spiritual realm, there is no neutrality. If you don't shake the hand of God, you're shaking the hand of the devil. They don't realize it. Because you're walking by sight. So on that road, there are three women. And all these three will make choices. All these three will make choices. Last week we saw in 1 and verse 14, they wept their voices and wept again, offer, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. She kissed her mother-in-law and she walked away. Orpha will turn back. Orpha will turn back. And we'll never hear about Orpha again. She's gone. It's a choice she made. You see, this is something which we need to understand about life. Let us say you climbed up an apartment block of ten floors. And in the tenth floor, there is this apartment. You go to that apartment, you open the window, and you jump out. You are absolutely free to do that. But you cannot control the consequences. If you are alone in that apartment and the apartment has no bars, is anybody going to stop you from jumping? No. But once you made that choice, now the choice will make you. Orpha kissed. Then she turned, made a choice, went back to Moab and is gone. Okay? She's gone. Like I said, you and I are free to make choices. God gave us that freedom. But we are not free to choose the consequences of our choices. It will follow. So Orpha will choose. Ruth also will choose. Because what you often hear, especially from young people, is I am free to do whatever I want to do. Maybe you are. But you are not free to choose the consequences. Free love will lead to disease, death and broken homes. Laziness will ultimately lead to a mediocre life and poverty. Will lead. Indiscipline ultimately will lead to destruction. Did you know that poverty is a choice? God never destined anybody to be poor. It's a choice. One of the lessons I learned from this book is that poverty is a choice. It's a choice. One, it is a result of uninformed choices. To choose anything, I need information. This book, the pages of this book, is information, incredible information, sealed by the very hand of the living God, the creator of this universe, the creator of each person. In Second Timothy chapter 3, scripture says, now for believers, where is the stress on? First stress is on this. All. Say all. All scripture. Not what you pick and choose. What you pick and choose is the vanity mirror you carry in your bag. 
Doesn't work like that with scripture. It's a full length mirror. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. You cannot be poor. You cannot live a life of lack. But how does righteousness come? Through scripture, because through scripture you receive what is God's doctrine, you receive reproof, you receive correction, you receive instruction which leads into righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly be equipped for every good work. Can you do good works in lack? Can I be a blessing unless I am blessed? Can I give if I don't receive? So poverty is a choice. It's a choice made by people because they choose to be uninformed in this. In this. Not some scripture, but all scripture. It is God breathes. This word in KJV actually would mean the actual language is breathed by the very spirit of God. That's what the word of God is. So make, you're free. Everyone is free to choose. But you're not free to choose the results. So if you want to prosper, escape poverty, make informed choices according to scripture because the scripture will teach us the ways of God. How does God make choices? If God came in the flesh, which he did 2000 years ago, how would he make choices? How would he make choices? How would he handle crisis? How would he handle lack? You see that all. Jesus never faced a situation in life which he couldn't handle. Let's feed the crowd. How much do you have? Five loaves? Two fish? No problem. Give it away. Another crowd. How much do you have? Uh, seven loaves and two fish. No problem. Let's handle Sleeping. What's your problem? There is a storm. No problem. Can handle it. Okay. Are you going on your own or am I sending you? You are sending us. So when I sent you without bag, without sandal, without money, did you lack? No. That's my issue with pastors always, not scolding them, but I cry out to them. You cannot be servants of God and live in poverty like this. It's a humiliation for the master. Imagine you come to my house and you see my maidservant coming with her chappals broken, torn clothes, unwashed hair. You look at her and then you look at me. Does she work in your house? Does she work in your house? Don't you take care of her? Can you imagine what a mockery it is? I'm not saying you should come in a Mercedes Benz car. No, that is also, our God is also not that. But I'm saying he takes care of his children, he takes care of his servants. So you need to make informed choices. And you need to understand God's ways to escape this famine. Really informed choices. Real. Understand the simplicity of the gospel and the heart of God and the ways of God. Let me tell you, simple things which you will understand. Young people, when you grow up and young people who have grown up, if your take-home salary is 15K, why would you buy a 10K phone? You are already paving the way for poverty. Why would you? Somebody gives you, praise God. But why would you buy 
a 10K phone, when your salary is 15K, I would never do it. Never in my life would I do it. If your salary is 15K, why would you go and splurge 3K on a pair of shoes or sandals or a dress? You think God is going to give you money when you are proving to him every day you are an incredible stupid steward of his resources? When he says the gold and silver are mine? Would you? If my income is that, if I make those choices, those consequences of those choices will automatically follow. If my income is 15K, let's put it in Hyderabad terms, why would I ever shop in Qmart? I will never. In all my life of, from 91 to 2016, 17, I've entered Qmart only once in my life, looked at the price tags and walked out. And I said, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this. You know, a lot of God's people are living in constant lack because you are living beyond your means. Understand? Beyond your means. Once you have established stewardship, when you have proved to God, when my income is 5,000 and I will give you your 500, I will never steal from you. I give it to your 500 or 600 or 700 and I will manage to live within the rest and you prove to you, your, to him, your stewardship over a period of time. He will raise you up to 10 because he knows you won't destroy yourself in prosperity. He will raise you from 10 to 15, to 20, to 50, to 100. Once you have proven that you are a good steward of your soul and his resources, he has no issues in prospering because he knows when you prosper, you will not turn around and kick at him. Like I tell pastors, poverty and prosperity, both are tests. Both are tests. Many cannot pass the test of prosperity. Cannot. When prosperity comes, they destroy themselves. Many cannot pass the test of poverty because they don't believe. Understand, this is how principles are made in life. Choices are made in life. First, be a very good steward of God's resources, whatever he has given you as young people. As older people. Second, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, this is, this has got nothing to do with this church. It's got to do with every church in India. As soon as demonetization came, every church, what went down? Why? Because you're panicking under famine. You're panicking under famine. You can't. You can't panic when famine comes. You simply can't. Because famine is a test you don't realize. God controls our life, not the government. Governments will come and governments will go. They don't control our lives. Our God does. And God uses something like that, an ordinance or a decision made by a prime minister for different things. For the people, it is panning. For the church, it's a test. It's a test. 
Everywhere leaders panic. Why do leaders panic? Because they started without God. And they needed people to finish it. Now when the people back off, they are panicking. Who told you to start something without God? And Moses led two million plus people into the desert with one stick. He didn't have to worry about provision because it is God who sent him to lead them into famine, the wilderness. And God took care of them with that one stick for 40 years. They all ate. They all were dressed. They had enough water to drink and they were protected. Why? All Moses was to do was seek God, find his ways and lead the people in that. That's all he had to do. This is a test. So it's a choice. When famine comes, some will run to Egypt. Run to Egypt. What does it mean? Stop giving. Start taking. Preserve my soul. Immediately Abraham runs to Egypt and starts thinking, I have to preserve my soul. Sarah, sabse bolna tum meri Wow, what love. Now, a new degree of relationship. Others, when famine comes, famine comes, same famine comes, will be forced to go to God's appointed place. When famine came in Jacob's time, God allowed that famine to crave until their stomachs couldn't handle it. And Jacob had to say his ten brothers' sons, go to Egypt. Because I heard there is food in Egypt. Why? Because that is part of God's redemption. Go to Joseph. This famine has been ordained by God. For what purpose? To get these ten boys from this place to this place. Famine has been ordained in Mo, in this life to bring Ruth from Moab to Bethlehem. Because some people will move towards God only when famine comes. In plenty, they never seek God. Then there is a third in God's kingdom. Lord, I am here where you wanted me to be here. And famine has come. What should I do? Genesis 26, verse 2 and 3. Genesis. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you. Bless you, for to you and your descendants I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. Famine came. Isaac time also. Famine came. And Isaac also started slowly moving towards Egypt. Slowly. He hasn't reached Egypt. Slowly. God said, don't go. Son, don't go. I know. Look around. Everything is dry and parched. And you have so many servants, flocks and herds and everything. I understand. But I have something to tell you. What is that? Don't go. Dwell here and I will be with you. I will be with you and I will bless you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Many people will say. And God says, stay. Stay and I will dwell you. Fine. It doesn't stop there. Then God tells you an impossible thing. Insight to do. Words 12. 
Then I succeeded in that land. What did God tell him to do? So, are you serious, Pastor? Are you really serious? Are you really serious? Yes. God said, "Are you serious, Lord? Demonetization. There is no money, and you want me to give more during this season? Yes." If you believe, I have given more during these three months of demonetization than ever in my life. I've only three thousand seven hundred and twenty-five rupees left in my entire account. Emptied my account because he said, "This is the time to give." When famine comes, learn to sow. Any idiot can sow in good times. This is the season to sow. Need to be smart with God. In the same year, He reaped a hundredfold. Will you? It looks bleak. Economy is bad. Immenses are shedding jobs. Companies are retrenching. God says, "Stay. I will bless you in that land. You don't panic. Not only that." Increase your giving. Please don't misunderstand me for a prosperity preacher who is asking you to give more next week. That's not what I am saying. I am telling you the principles on which how the kingdom works. Okay. Choices. These are choices you make. You need to realize everything is a choice. And if ever in U.S. Elect- elections in modern history, this election was all about choices. All about choices. Absolutely radical, two different choices. If you watched on Friday, you would have seen in Washington D.C. a sea of red. Simple people, most of the simple country folks who had come from the Midwest and the Christian Belt, all of them came. Probably over a million of them were on the streets that day to watch the inauguration. People who believe in Christ, many, many in that crowd. And the simplicity of the gospel, the sanctity of life. People who have mocked and ridiculed during the eight years of the previous government of Obama. You need to understand, he ridiculed the people of these little towns of Pennsylvania, Mississippi and all the little towns. Before he won his first election, let me quote to you, in case he hears this. On 4th of November 2008, He said about them, these people living in Pennsylvania and all these little towns. He says, it is not surprising that when things get hard, they get bitter and they cling to their guns and or their religion. They cling to their guns or their religion. That's why when he took power for the past eight years, he was trying to bring more and more tough laws on gun control and try to really put the church into the closet. And he won. Why guns? Because America is the only nation on earth where you have a constitutional right to bear arms. It's your right to bear arms. Why? Because... The Americans' founding fathers believed that if the population is armed, they can never be taken over by a dictator. 
Because his dictatorships always happen when the common citizen doesn't have means to fight back. Therefore, it's a constitutional right. You can bear arms in America. Can you imagine 300 million people, everyone with a gun, which government can colonize them? Impossible. Impossible. You will need China's 200 million army prophesied in the book of Revelation to colonize them. Otherwise, it is impossible. That's how they put it as a constitution. And these guys were after the believing ones. On Friday, you could have seen a sea of people rejoicing, believing actually they got their country back. Because eight years later, the people from the small towns came out and voted in large numbers. And if you use political terms, they broke what was called the impenetrable blue wall. That was Friday. But on Saturday, if you had again watched, Washington DC was flooded. And major cities in US was flooded. Even Europe was flooded with anti Supposedly Trump protests, but of course, led by Hollywood stars. All were led by women. And they called themselves progressive. Why? The leadership wants absolute abortion rights and gay and lesbian rights and immigration without restrictions. You need to wake up and smell the coffee. This is what is happening even right now because Sunday hasn't come in in US yet. Millions of women on the streets and hundreds and thousands among them will go to church on Sunday thinking they did something right because they are poorly informed. Poorly informed. In the final debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump when that issue came up, Hillary's answer was, leave the choice to the woman. And Trump said, no. Cannot be left to the woman. How can you tear a fetus out of a womb and kill it? The question is, certain choices cannot be left to the individual. It has to be given to the state. Because it is a state that should mandate you cannot kill. That cannot be left to the individual. When judges rule... And when every man is king in his own eyes, then he will decide whom we can kill and whom we can keep. That is not rule of law. That is lawlessness. Are you understanding? Simple, simple things, but there are big choices being made. And everybody is making a choice. And many, many choices that are made are choice because you're so, people are so poorly informed. Very poorly informed. That is why God says, my people perish because lack of knowledge. He says, you don't, you are not born a loser. No, you are born a chooser. And you perish because you do not have knowledge. To make choices, I need knowledge. And more than any information available in the world and educational system, what I need is the knowledge of the living God and how his kingdom operates. That's why God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. How does your kingdom operate? Because Daniel will say the kingdom of God rules over all the kingdoms of men. That is why everybody is interested in the American election. Nobody is interested in the election of Canada. Why? 
Is anybody interested in the election of Australia? No. Why does the election of America take precedence over every news network, every Indian newspaper? Why? Because they know America, even now, controls the destiny of all nations because they are the most powerful and the most wealthy nation on earth. They can make or destroy another nation. That's why they are saying when he took oath, national capitals around the world, leaders are trembling because of his speech. He said, America first. Everybody's trade is linked to America. If he says, you cannot sell until I set the terms, what do we do? What does India do? What does IT sector do? You understand? But we don't worry because our God says, my kingdom rules over the kingdom of Trump also. So he says, you are so foolish that you don't seek that kingdom that rules over everything. But remember, you can't just seek the kingdom and the principles of the kingdom because unlike every other kingdom of man, in this case, the kingdom and the king are one. You cannot separate them. Therefore, seek the kingdom and seek his righteousness. Don't separate. You will destroy yourself. You will destroy yourself. The king and the kingdom are one. It's a realm. It's a person. So seek the kingdom. Seek his righteousness. All the things you need for life will just come. It will just come. So we are making choices. Yet there are many, many, many who have not made the biggest of choices. In Joel 3 and verse 14, scripture says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Where are multitudes? Where are multitudes? In the valley of decision. Like I said, there are big choices in life you have to make. All choices in life are not big, though you make it big. Small choice in life is, what will I wear tomorrow? We make it into a big choice and says, I have nothing to wear. No, it's a very small choice. Very small choice. But we make these small choices into big choices. That is what Jesus said. What will you eat? What will you drink? What will you wear? Who runs after those things? Pagans. The ones who do not know God run after those things. Those are not big choices. Don't ever think these are not big choices because for many these are big choices because see where you put your money, you will know whether it is a big choice or a small choice. Don't say I follow the kingdom and seeking its righteousness. Really? Did it show it here? I don't know. That's why I didn't like the demonetization because it made online transaction and checks necessary, which I dislike because I don't want to know who gives. I've never known all these years and for the first time I see one name here, one name here. I said, oh, I don't want to know. It's there on the statement. I don't want to know. It's none of my business. How you give, how much you give, what? It's none of my business. It's between you and God. It's between you and God. I need to know only whether I have given. I only need to know whether I am blessed. How do you know you are blessed? It's not by what you got. In the kingdom, it's what you have given away. It's not the same standard. 
Like I said, all choices are not big. But some choices are big in life. For young people, class 12. Very big choice. Then, marriage. First choice about marriage, to marry or not to marry, is the question. This is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. First, go before God and find out, should I marry or should I not marry or should I tarry? If you genuinely go and ask God, God will say, Daddy, don't marry. Why Lord, I am 35? He said, yes, in age and in size, but in maturity you are a child. If you get married, I will have a child marriage. <laughs> Half the problems in marriages, a lot of children have got married. And they refuse to grow up. What do children do? Have you, see, have you seen two children together? My. What do you hear about conflicts in the home? My way. No, my way. What did you get? Two children who got married. That's all. What more counseling can you give them? All you can tell them is grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Suddenly they have three or four children. Little later you see the children also say, My. My, now you are dealing with six children over there. The parents and the children all saying, mine. So first about marriage, to marry or not to marry. Second is whom to marry. It's a big choice, big choice. But the biggest choice of all is the choice you make about Jesus. That's the biggest choice that will define your life and eternity. To follow Jesus or not. Half-hearted or full-hearted? Actually, there is no such choice in the Bible. (laughs) People make those choices which is not there in the Bible. Need to realize the biggest choice you will ever make in life concerns Jesus. This is what Jesus said about it in Matthew 12 and verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. Lord, I am not against you. But you will say, but you are not with me. And if you are not with me, you are against me. And he who does not gather with me, scatters. And if you are not serving me, then you are serving against me. It's simple. He just, he is not drawing a line in water. You know what happens to a line in water? Goes. A line in sand, the wind takes it away. He's drawing a line in concrete and says, this is it. That's the problem with the gospel. The gospel is radical because truth is only one. It can cannot be two. So the biggest choice you can ever make in life and you're blessed if you make it when you are young and make it wholeheartedly and make a real informed choice when you are young. First, make the right choice to follow Jesus. Two, make a well-informed choice. And three, make a wholehearted choice. Especially young ones here. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33, Jesus will put it across very simply. Great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot. Say cannot. He cannot. He didn't say may not. Maybe not. He says he cannot. 
be my disciple then my question is why do we pretend or try to be disciples without believing what he has said you know how people are struggling to become disciples without following the guidelines for being disciples he said it i didn't who does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish what king going to ma- war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10000 to meet him who comes against him with 20000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation ask for conditions of peace so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple simple god says you know what you have to make this big choice you have to make a very informed choice and you need to count the cost of discipleship count the cost of discipleship that's our major issue there are two boats in christendom one is a large ship full of followers the other is a small boat with disciples the problem is some people from the ship of followers have got into the boat of disciples and refused to get out what's the problem those who were followers got into the boat of disciples and refused to get out and across the world in churches followers have taken the positions of leadership they refused to move or budge and then what do you have in you have an entire congregation that is compromised you need to understand there are three calls in the bible they look the same but they are not the same in deuteronomy 30 verse 50 and 18 and 15 and 19 see i have said before you today life and good death and evil And then i call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that i have said before you life and death blessing and cursing therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live okay the key words is god says choose but choose life you have life and you have death and we don't realize this every choice we make in life is either life or death they may may look neutral but they are not neutral if Every choice we make in life fall under these two categories life or death second you will see another call on mount carmel in first kings 18 and verse 21 elijah came to all the people and said how long will you falter between two opinions if the lord's god follow him but if baal follow him but the people answered him not a So there is a choosing of life and a choosing of death. There is a following after God and a following after Baal. They all look they are not the same, but they are all intricately connected. Connected to what? The actual call that Joshua says. You see you can choose life without following Christ. 
when it comes to material life. You can study the Bible, get the principles of the kingdom, and accordingly practice, and yet never follow Christ. Or, you can follow Christ, and you can make appropriate decisions very smartly. But you still haven't fulfilled the third call in the Bible, which is given by Joshua. Joshua, shall I have the next one? Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. You have to choose ultimately whom you will serve. You see, I can follow Christ, I can choose life and serve myself. Again, serve myself. That's the gospel that is being preached. In that gospel, Christ is not being denied. It's all from scripture. It's all about the kingdom. And how you can make these incredible choices. But ultimately, you look at the core of it, you end up serving whom? Yourself. Yourself. You don't serve God. You serve yourself. The call here is, Choose whom you will serve. We don't realize ultimately this is what matters. The big choice. Everyone sitting here, if you haven't already chosen, will have to make one day. Whom will you serve? Whom will you serve? That one big choice will define all the other small choices you make. Choose this day whom you will serve. Not just follow. Whom you will serve. When Moses was sent to Egypt, this is what God told him to tell Pharaoh in Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. What does Christ say to each one of us? Let each one be set free. For what? To serve God. That is the purpose of salvation. We are not saved to serve ourselves. We are saved to serve him. 600,000 men and women left Egypt and followed Moses. But they never served God who set them free. So all their incredible spiritual exercises were worth nothing in the eyes of God. We know that. We have read it often. We will read it once again. Incredible spiritual exercises. First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 5. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. Shall we use today's term? I don't want you to be uninformed. He says, let me tell you. Let me bring to your information if you do not know, O Corinthian church who is so happy about the spiritual gifts, you're prophesying, you're preaching, you're singing, you're worshipping, you're exercising gifts, all, you're so excited, right? Let me tell you something about gifts. All our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, meaning they had water baptism and spirit baptism. All ate the spiritual same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink, meaning they had the word and the spirit. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, 
God was not pleased. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Why? Because they lived those 40 years following Moses to serve themselves. The view on earth and the view from heaven were absolutely different. Absolutely. The spiritual only God knows. Like if I see the view from here, boy, everyone looks good. Everyone is dressed well. Everyone, most of them have notebooks. They are all taking notes. Some boys were nodding off even they are awake now. They are all listening. Their eyes are on me. But spiritual reality? No. If you look at these people, oh wow, two million people following Moses. Break camp, broke camp. Carrying everything. They are moving, they are moving, they are moving, they are moving. Enemies cannot defeat them. Manna comes in the morning. The clothes don't wear off. The shoes don't wear off. Wow. That is the outward reality. You want to know the spiritual reality? It's also there in the Bible. The spiritual reality. Amos chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. Did you offer me sacrifice and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years? I gave you the law. I gave you the tabernacle. I gave you the the means and the methods in which you can please God through your offerings. Did you offer me sacrifice or offerings in the wilderness 40 years of house of Ephraim? Did you ever give me one offering in the wilderness? No? Not only that, outwardly everybody thought you were following Yahweh, the God of Israel. But really, do you know, you also carried Sikuth, your king, and Chion, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. What are you carrying? You had your other gods with you. Following Moses, Levites are carrying the ark. All of you carried your idols with you. Oh Israel. Outward reality, inner reality. For us, outer reality. Everybody in church. Everybody worshipped. Everybody is listening. Everybody is taking notes. Inner reality. How many idols do we have hidden inside? Have you really offered God what pleases Him this week? Which is our reality? That's what God is talking about. So following is one thing. Choosing is another thing. Ultimately God said, do you still serve me? That's why he said one big choice will take care of a lot of choices. Choose this day whom you will serve. You have to choose. If you choose this big, see, most of the confusion in lives, Christian lives, is because they still haven't made this big choice. Whom they will serve. Whom they will serve. Once you have made these choices, even if you falter and if you fall, God can restore you back because you already made that main choice. David had made the choice very early in life. This is you and you alone I will serve. He fell, he was restored. Saul could not be restored. He never made that choice. You have to choose whom you will serve. Then the other choices become very easy. Let me give you illustrations because young people, they understand. Let us use Pastor Vijay today. Okay, Pastor Vijay, excuse me. Okay, Pastor Vijay and Jacinth and the family decides to go out for dinner. They get into the car and they've been driving now for four hours. Why? Vijay said, I want Chinese. Jacinth said, I love Continental. Abigail said, I want KFC. Manuel said McDonald. 
hours later they are still driving why too many choices too many choices on the other hand let us imagine scene 2 they are going out tonight and vijay says we are going to eat chinese we are going to nanking and we are going to the nanking that has opened up here 15 minutes later they are there why choices were made very clear you getting the picture most people have been made this big choice they're always confused about the smaller choices and it doesn't matter how much counseling you receive on smaller choices it doesn't straighten your life out because you still have made that major decision whom you will serve whom you will serve bend your knee Saul of Tarsus did not need great guidance after the third day of his salvation because on the first day he bent his knee and said what do you want me to do go it will be told you over made very clear whom he will serve make that decision church young ones make it yeah hamlet comes back to denmark his ghost of his father tells him your stepfather who's married your mother my brother he killed me he's absolutely confused whether i should believe my father's ghost or should i believe what i see is absolutely so paranoid and so depressed he one doesn't know what to do should i kill my stepfather or should i commit suicide when caught in the dilemma he makes that famous statement to be or not to be is the question he doesn't know what to do and so many people in the church are hamlets to serve or not to serve is a question Problem don't even real that is not even a question that's a life and a choice that will demand everything from you god says choose this day whom you will serve the minute you decide this is you i serve then all the other answers fall into place you won't come and say pastor should i marry him he's not fully committed but he make you won't ask those questions If I choose to serve God why do I want him in my life I want somebody who will serve God along with me I don't want somebody who will pull me back See all our smaller choices are connected because we have been made the big choice I want to study I want to excel I want to go to this place I want... Really It's all good on paper it looks fantastic but let me ask you a question did you surrender you have been surrendered doesn't matter where you go you will destroy yourself if you have surrendered god can put you in egypt he can put daniel in babylon and he can put moabite here they won't destroy esther in the king's palace they will never destroy themselves but they have decided whom they will serve whom they will serve we are all dreamers and we are pursuing our dreams without having surrendered our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ and we get angry and bitter with god like naomi because he didn't bless our dreams that's our issue a lot of people are angry and bitter 
But choose this day whom you will serve. Once you choose, choose with all your heart. Luke 9 and verse 62. Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You're not fit. You may be fit for your MNC even to be CEO. That's okay. You may be good for an incredibly high post in the government. But you're not fit for the kingdom. For the kingdom, God says, I need people who are absolutely committed and will not turn back. Steadfast. Joseph had made his choice very, very early in life. Therefore, when life took a hard turn, hard turn, from the well to a slave, from a slave to a slave in a man's house to the dungeon, all this hardship made no difference because early in life, he had made a very clear decision. The decision is mouth, not in good times, in an incredibly powerful, tempting time of trial. In Genesis 39 and verse 9, he tells Potiphar's wife, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Ma'am, you're telling me to serve you. But I'm telling you, I'm committed to serving God. Everything you told me till today did not contradict that. Therefore, I served your master faithfully. But today you're asking me something where I stop serving God. I stop serving you or I stop serving myself and I will not do either because I will only serve God. This decision was not taken in that hour. That decision was taken when he was a young boy in his father's house. That's why I'm saying, these decisions are not taken at the time of your trial. Those decisions are taken now. You don't make decisions when the trial comes. You have already made that major decision. I have chosen whom I will serve. Period. Every other smaller decisions will follow. Daniel also made the decision very early in life. When he was in the royal tribe of Judah, in his father's house, we don't know, hidden life of Daniel. But when we is put into the public realm, the first thing we hear about Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 is that Daniel said, purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy. Both are slaves. Joseph is a slave in Egypt. Daniel is a slave in Babylon. Both are slaves. Both can say, I can't do anything. I have to make these choices because these choices have been made for me. They say no. We have decided early whom we will serve. That's what I'm saying. Once this big decision is made and you stick to it, so many other decisions will easily follow. What should I eat? Answer, I eat according to whom I serve. What do you drink? I drink according to whom I serve. What do I wear? I wear according to whom I serve. Where should I work? I work according to whom I serve. How do I work? I work according to whom I serve. So Colossians 3, 23 to 24 puts it. 
whatever you do do it heartily happily cheerfully as to the lord and not to men knowing that from the lord you will receive the reward of inheritance for you serve serve whom do you serve joseph who are you serving christ no i thought your boss was potiphar no christ daniel who are you serving nebuchadnezzar no christ ruth whom are you serving the god of naomi esther whom are you serving the god of israel very clear how do you know from the choices they are making whom do you serve whom do we serve it's a question god is asking but sadly the bible also explains in the new covenant the state of many within christendom paul says in philippians 3:18 and 19 for many walk of whom i have told you often now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of christ whose end is destruction whose god is their belly whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things Who's their God? Their God is their belly, their carnal appetites, the glory in their shame. They will say, "No, pastor, you don't. I am well dressed, really. I'm not talking about you. I'm giving you an example. No, pastor, I'm well dressed, really. Can the angels say that? Forget man. Can the angels say as they are?" watching they're watching every church service genuine church service they watch and they come to listen because they are learning through the church because god has said very clearly in the bible the wisdom of christ is manifested to the angels through the church so they come here to learn how do you they see us how do they see how are people around the world have issues with this but i have explained it over and over in the deep teachings in the church head of god is head of christ is god the head of man is christ the head of woman is man the glory of god is christ the glory of man is christ the glory of woman is man therefore god says a man should not pray or prophesy with his head covered because he glorifies the glory of god is represented through man and in the same token he says a woman should not pray or prophesy without her head covered because she is the glory of man in the house of god only christ and christ alone receives glory 90% of the churches in the western world don't believe it and they bring culture over there it's got nothing to do with culture that's why scripture says let a woman have a sign of authority because of the angels god says angels are watching there are two sets of angels the rebellious and the obedient even the obedient ones are learning what the obedience of the son is through the church that's about it's not about covering it's about glory You cannot say it is written hair is given as a covering but it's written also written the hair is the glory of the woman and the glory of the woman cannot be revealed in the church during ministry because only Christ can be glorified man cannot be glorified man cannot cover his head because he is the glory of Christ how would you think if i wore a hat and came and start preaching i'll say there's something funny here why is pastor wearing a hat what we don't do is cross anti culture to the jewish believers to whom it is actually first written can you imagine a jewish believer 
reading what Paul is telling all the churches, he says it's all for the churches and we have no other rules. A Jewish believer who has come to Christ is being told, you should not cover your head when you pray or prophesy. He said, my God, what are you saying? For thousands of years, we Jews have always covered our head in prayer and prophecy. He says, not anymore. Because now, Christ is in you. You Jew who has accepted Christ can no longer put the prayer shawl over your head. Take it off. It is more difficult for the man then than for the woman. Today it is more difficult for the woman than the man because you brought Gentile culture in and refused to accept the authority of God's word. Does that mean you are not saved? Of course not. Does that mean you will not be used by God? Of course not. It only means you will lose your crown or some jewels from your crown. Because your obedience was never made perfect. Understand, this has got to do with your crown and with your glory on that day. Simple things, very simple thing. That is what is talking about. Whom will you serve? I always tell God, God, when I am confused, I will err on the side of caution. If I am wrong, oh Lord, I can always tell him, Lord, I am sorry, I am wrong, but it was written. I went by what was written. But I know I am not wrong. Because for 1,950 years of church history, women always covered their head. This came in the last 50 to 60 years through the feminist movement. It is not a rebellion against just God. It's a rebellion against man and patriarchy. These are the women you will have seen on the streets of Washington D.C. yesterday. And that rebellion cannot come into the church. It's got nothing. Actually, the man should have objected to that when Paul was writing through the Holy Spirit. No, I will not. My father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, from the time of Moses, we have covered our head. What are you telling us to do? We will not. Even the high priest covered his head. He put holy unto the Lord, and that's when the law is over. Isn't that true? But he said, I take it off. Why? Because I will not serve my belly. Not serve my belly. Understand little, little, little things. But those who are children growing in the Lord, just understand these concepts. Then when you grow older, we'll understand the truth. Because God has to lead us from truth to truth, from glory to glory. And at every point, we'll have to make this decision, whom do I serve? Whom do I serve? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the heart of God. That's why God says so many, there Belly is their God. The carnal appetites. Because your desires will end up determining your destiny. You are free to choose. But you are not free not to choose. And you are not free, not free to choose the consequences of your choice. The whole story began with a man from Israel, from Bethlehem, Judah, called Elimelech, going to Moab. Elimelech means, my God is king. What's his name? My God is my king. Why are you going from Bethlehem to Moab if God is your king? No, God is my king, that's my name, but I am king. When famine came, he made a very ungodly decision, though his name meant God is king. Abraham meant exalted father. But when famine came, he too made a very ungodly choice. Why did both of them make this choice? Because of belly. 
bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Those who live by bread, it is a physical that makes their decisions. Those who live by the word of God, they allow the spiritual to overrule the physical. Let me ask you a simple question. Simple question, okay? We need simple illustrative questions to get the point. Let's say Mr. Thomas. Or should I use one of the names of those who are nodding off? Mr. Thomas, who is working for company A, leaves for company B. There are no issues with his old company, but company B is offering him 2000k more. That's Mr. Thomas. Christian. Okay, I'm giving only Christian names. What do you think about Mr. Simon, who's a businessman, actively involved in his church? He goes, shifts from Hyderabad to Delhi because he realized in Delhi his business has better prospects. What did you think of me if a church in Mumbai offered me a huge salary and perks to pastor their church and I choose to leave? He'll say, Pastor, how can you do that? But why did you differentiate these three? Are in all three called to serve God? Aren't all three supposed to be serving God? You in the MNC, you in the business, and I behind the pulpit. Aren't we all serving God? Oh, I didn't think it that way, but that's the way it is written. Only our jobs are different. Everyone serves God. And if you are not serving God, you are serving somebody else. Because in this entire universe, there are only two masters, not three. Only two masters. And God says, choose this day whom you will serve. Whom you will serve. Whom you will serve. All three were called to serve the same God. Who are the all three? Naomi, Orpha, and Ruth. All three. Orpha chose to turn around and serve her God. Naomi went in the right direction but was serving her own belly. That was, she's bitter at the end. Because if you don't love the word of God, when you swallow it in your stomach, it becomes bitter. It takes like laddu in your mouth when you're here in church. Later it tastes like karila. When you try to go home and obey it. And the third one, Ruth. Ruth chose to serve God. We need to realize there are only two masters. Even if you choose to serve the living God, it must be by the correct motive. If it is your motive is wrong, then you will end up bitter like Naomi or judged like Balaam. Wow. You look at Balaam. He's standing on this side of the hill. And he opens his mouth, blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing over Israel. Turns to this side of the mountain, opens his mouth, blessing after blessing after blessing. Whenever he opens his mouth, he's only blessing Israel. Can you judge that man by his words? Why did he come there? To curse, not to bless. The only thing God took over his tongue and made him into a blessing. But did he get the reward of his words? He got the reward of his attitude, his actual intention. Can God redeem Naomi? No. Has he come back to Bethlehem? Yes. Does he know the scriptures? Of course. 
Does he know the ways of God? Yes. But can you redeem her? No. Why? Because your attitude stings. Ruth, does she know the scripture? No. Do you understand the God of Israel? No. But can you be redeemed? Yes. Why? You got such a pleasant attitude. Your name should be changed from Ruth to Naomi. You are pleasant. Understand three women on the road. All three. You have to get these fundamentals very, very clear. There are only two masters, God and the devil. No, three masters. Even if you serve yourself, you will end up serving the devil. Because the devil vicariously lives through you. When you serve God, Christ vicariously lives through you. Two of them are living. Both wants to live. And you think, I am my own master. No, brother, you are not. The devil is your master. When you choose to serve yourself, the devil lives through you. When you choose to serve Christ, Christ lives through you. That's the song we sang for Offetry. Either of them. The devil living through will ultimately end up in what? Demon possession and destruction. Did King Saul begin by serving God and after three years start serving himself and at the end of his life start serving the devil and the devil lived through him? That's the truth. Demon, demon possession and deliverance are different subjects. But how do demons get in? They get in by men and women and children choosing to serve themselves first. And demons starts living vicariously through you. How does Christ live through you? When men, women and children choosing to serve God and Christ lives through you. We are making choices. Everybody is making choices. There are only two masters, not three. And they are absolutely different masters. In John 10.10, God defines these two masters. He says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and to destroy. What does the devil come? To steal, to kill, to destroy. But he says, I have come to give you life and life in abundance. Abundance. It's a very difficult concept but with scripture, let me bring down many egos today. Humanity, as you see humanity, and all of creation, as you see creation, are only servants. Only servants or slaves. We are all what? Slaves. We are all servants. There are only two masters. There are only two masters. Let me prove to you from scripture. Romans chapter 6. 17 and 18. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of what? What we were earlier? Slaves of sin. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became what? Either way you are a slave. Accept that first. Only difference is, are you a slave of sin? Are you a slave of righteousness? If you are a slave of sin, Who's your master? The devil. If you're a slave of righteousness, who's your master? Christ Jesus. Choose this day whom you shall serve. It's as simple. Very simple. Very simple. How do I want, how do I become a slave of righteousness? Simple God says walk by faith. You walk by faith, you are a slave of righteousness. 
That's why scripture says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And 1 Corinthians 10, 5 says, with most of them God was not pleased. They were going promised land, promised land, serving their own bellies. They were slaves of sin. Therefore their master was the devil. Therefore, though they were given the Levitical law, the tabernacle, the forms of worship, whom did they worship secretly? Their gods, which they carried with them. That's what happens to Christians too. Though they come to church, they listen to the word, they pray, they worship, and they go back, they start serving their own belly. Their gods. Ultimately, the devil becomes the master. That's why wrong choices will lead to the wrong master. Thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. After ten years in Moab, Elimelech is dead. Sons are dead. And you have three widows in the land. Are you getting it? Church, don't take it lightly. Don't think you are young and strong and I can make this decision and then change later. Nobody does. Once you have heard the truth, you have to make your choice. That's the problem about truth. Immediately you have to. You think you have to make a decision tomorrow. You are making decisions already in your minds. You are already choosing in your mind. Some people really pride by saying that I tune him off. You are not tuning me off. Because if you tune me off, nothing will happen to you. But you tune the voice of God, hope. You are choosing destruction. I don't have words of life. He does have. You are already making choices. We don't realize every time you make choices. And we have to be informed to make choices. And don't make excuses to run away to make choices. Don't run away. Don't run away. You have to. Some of you have to make up this decision which I made very, very early in life. I think I made this in 1991. One thing I made my decision after my decision to Christ. I will never miss church. When I was not a pastor. Non-negotiable. Unless extreme emergency, which would need an ambulance to take me to church. Otherwise, no. I will not miss church. Non-negotiable. Once you have made this, and some of you need to make that decision, others cannot push you. The reason people push you is because you have negotiated those commitments. You have already compromised on those areas. Why could this child come to church every week? For years. Though she comes from a Gentile background. Why? Because she put her foot down and said, that's where I am going. Of course, God had she had favor with her father. But when you make those decisions, you will have favor with God. Because scripture says when Daniel made this decision, immediately had favor with this eunuch who was in charge of him. Made this decision. I worked in difficult situations. In countries where Christianity was forbidden. And I was sent. And my institution also told me, you should come on Sundays and do this thing. The first thing I told the principal is, sir, you will not get me on Sundays. I'll finish all my work by before Saturday afternoon. I will not come on a Sunday. Not, not even one Sunday they could get out of me. Because my Sunday was kept for the churches. Not church, churches. And first thing I wrote is my resignation letter and left the date blank. That you push me against my God's will first thing you get from me is my resignation. Thank you, sir. I'm leaving. Because I have chosen in my mind whom I am serving early. You have to make these decisions early. Otherwise you will waver between two opinions and will say nothing. 
Enough. 2017 is the year of overflow. Make your decision. Make your decision. Because where you are in the will of God, God is there with you. And God will put a, a hedge around you. You will be in a place of spiritual blessing. I'm not saying physical blessing like you see in the Old Testament. Not necessarily. We don't need half of the blessings in the Old Testament. No, we don't need. We need spiritual blessings which we've been promised already in Christ Jesus. Understand principles from scripture. Understand principles from scripture. The physical and the spiritual explained through the Old Testament our life in the New Testament. Look at Job 1 and verse 3. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Do you really want this? What are you going to do with all these sheep? Lord, I want to bless me. Like Job, wake up in the morning outside your apartment, surrounded by sheep. Really, do you want that? God is telling us something. He says, don't read the whole testament with physical eyes. These are principles for the New Testament people to understand spiritual truths. He says, this man is blessed. Spiritually blessed for us. Why? What's the reason? He's so blessed. Reason? Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And the man was blameless. One, two. Upright. Three. One who feared God. Four. Shunned evil. Says, you keep this four. I will prosper you spiritually. I will. For Job, it was physical. For you and me, he says, I will bless you with the spiritual blessings in Christ. You will experience it. But you have to put this four in order in your life. These four, O oh Lord. When famine came, it swept away all his blessings, including his children. All his blessings. In Job chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, scripture says, his famine came, meaning his trial testing. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons, daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men, young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. What does that tell you? If children of an upright man or a woman choose to eat and drink when the testing comes, they will die, but you will not be touched. And be prepared for that. I tell this straight away to pastors and families, straight away, put your children, what is close to you, on your on the altar. Otherwise, when this happens, because when the father was praying and worshipping, they were feasting. They had seen the example of this man for years and chose not to be part of it. When judgment came. Why? Because they chose to live by the God of their belly. God of their belly. When famine came, no prayer of the most righteous parent can save them. Job was an upright man, right blameless man, who shunned evil 
and was feared God, offering sacrifices for his sons and daughters regularly. Why? Because he knew they were eating and drinking and thought if they got drunk and they cursed God. So he was offering sacrifice. But when judgment came, his sacrifices had no effect. It swept them away. Because this proverb should never be repeated in Israel. The father should not bite on sour grapes and children teeth set on the edge because each one will die for their sin. Father's righteousness is not inherited for the children nor is the father's sin counted in the children. Iniquity is passed on but that's a different thing. But you are not judged for your father's sin. Nor will you be rewarded for your father's righteousness. It doesn't work. When this terrible famine came it revealed the heart of Job's own wife. A woman who lived with him for years and we don't know how old this man is. Let's say she lived with him for 100 years. But she never understood the heart of her husband. And she reveals it with her mouth. What do we see in Job 2? Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. So many. When their family falls apart, they don't go to church, they don't pray. They go. So you were doing all these things because you were blessed. So when blessing stops, you will not, you don't need God anymore. You will start cursing God, right? That's Job's wife. She believed only and only in the prosperity gospel. If I prosper, I will bless your name. If I don't prosper, then I will curse your name. I don't want you. I'll look for another God. Curse God and die. Her name, we don't know. Mrs. Job might have been Mara. You need to understand this. You cannot flee the will of God and find life. You can't. You have to choose life. You have to follow Christ. And you have to serve God alone. Or you serve your belly. You serve your belly. You know one of the ways in which we serve our belly? We serve and keep a false pretense. Our reputation. It is, oh my, you know my home? Fantastic. My children are like angels. My wife is like a wine over the table. You know? My grandchildren, wow. They're cherubims. <laughs> what are you serving? Your Belly. Can you be delivered? No. No. Neither can you be delivered nor will your children be delivered. Unless we stop serving our belly, there is no deliverance. There is no deliverance. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We need to be willing to call a spade a spade. And not like Obama's speech. By the time he has finished, you feel so good but you understood nothing. What did this man ultimately say? On the other hand, the other one. Trump comes and speaks for 16 minutes. You understood every word he said. Every word he said you understood. He made it very clear. These are my priorities. My for me, my country first. Some of his words were extremely powerful. It resonates with the American people. We may not like it. He said, Americans have spent their wealth on other nations while depriving their own people and made them poor. 
We have protected other borders while we left our own borders unsecured. They understand it. I understand it very well what he was talking about. You need to understand the other man, oh my God, such a smooth talker. By the time he's finished for one hour, everybody's mesmerized and understood nothing. God is not like that. He tells it. Jesus, soon he sees crowds following, he'll say, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me tell you. Hang on. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. That's not the way it is. And as we close, we will read, not Matthew 6, but we will read what Matthew 6.33 means. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, what it means in the words of Auntie Ruth. Auntie Ruth. I told you, right? Years and years and years ago when I had gone to that country, I didn't know any believers, nothing. My students had picked me, checked me into this hotel and I was called up one number I was given and I said, Lord, I need to find where the churches are in this nation. And they told me downstairs there is a PCO in that room. There will be a lady sitting. Her actual name is this. Her Christian name is Ruth. You go and ask her, Ruth, she may be scared, but then she will meet you take you to all the churches. The first believer I met in that nation. She came. We were there at the meeting. She came and she held me. I said, which, you know, this is who this is. <laughs> Both the children are married, settled now. And I said, that's the lady, the first believer I met in that nation. Listen to what the original Ruth says. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you a turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. The Lord swore to me, and more also, if anything but death separates you and me. It's a sevenfold consecration. Sevenfold consecration. Take a nut and bolt. Sevenfold consecration tightened up with the nut. The nut you will see in verse 18. What is it? When she saw that she was determined to go. And she saw she was. That is what closes your consecration. You need to be absolutely determined purposed in your heart to follow after Christ. Daniel had purposed in his heart he will not defile. Look at Balaam. God said, those men who have come to you, what are they doing there? Don't go with them. He goes out and they say, we will give you this much gold. He goes back and asks God, can I go? Why? Because you have already purposed in your heart, I am flexible. Lord, Can I marry that one? Can I marry that one? Isn't that an unbeliever? Yes, pastor. Yes, Lord, but can I marry that one? Why? Because we haven't determined to go with God. We are not determined. And I'm telling about so many sitting in the church. We are not determined yet. We are not steadfast. Yes, this sevenfold consecration can be there at some point in your life. You've made this consecration. 
put the nut and tighten it and say, you Lord, I am absolutely determined to go with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm steadfast. I have decided. Like I told the pastors, last pastors conference, the original song was sung by Ruth. We wrote it later. I have decided. No. Turning back. Turning back. In the midst of all the temptation and the trials, Ruth alone stood there on the road to Judah and said, no turning back. Joseph stood alone in Egypt. Daniel stood alone in Babylon. On Mount Carmel, Elijah stood alone. Can you stand alone? If the need comes, can you stand alone? God needs men and women and children who will stand alone because they are determined in their heart. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. This may be just from your lips now, but let that voice, that verses of that song resonate in your ears, in your heart. That you sing it over and over through the week and you reach that point where the Holy Spirit brings you to that surrender and say, Lord, no turning back. I have decided to follow you. I have decided to serve you. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning. I have decided to follow Jesus. Oh, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, Still I will follow Though none go with me Still I will follow Though none go with me Still I will follow No turning back No time The world behind me The cross before all the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Father, this morning we just stand in your presence. You alone are the one who searches the hearts of your people. You do not condemn us, but you do convict us. Your spirit is moving even now in the hearts of your children to bring more surrender. More and more surrender in our lives because you know only the Lordship of Christ Jesus will bring life. True liberty will come. Only when we are slaves of righteousness. When God has the lordship of our belly, 
not when our belly is our God. I pray, Father, today, through the ministry of your word and the intervention of your spirit, many are being set free. That they will not postpone this decision anymore. They will choose this day, today, this day, today, whom they will serve. Help us to choose. The choices before us are very clear. Give us the strength to choose. There's only one way we can choose. Make this decision steadfast. Fill our hearts with your love for you. Help us to love you with all our heart, all our might, all our strength. Because of God. If in the old covenant, death was as strong as love, in the new covenant, even death has been overcome in victory by love, your love. Fill us, Lord, today with more love for you. The God who redeemed Ruth. The God who redeemed us. For Boaz, it was easy to redeem Ruth. It cost him little. But you, to redeem us. You redeemed us with your blood. With your precious blood. Help us to know, always, walk in that knowledge, the price of our redemption. It's a true testimony of your love for us. Bought by blood to be slaves of righteousness. Help us to have the consecration of that simple Moabite God. Touch each heart. Bring each one back to you, Lord. That is the final ministry of the Holy Spirit before you come to turn the hearts of the children back to the Father. Let there be a turning back of hearts, O Lord, today, first to you and then to the things that are associated with you. Thank you, Father. I speak healing for those who need healing. Deliverance for those who need deliverance. Forgiveness for those who are crying out for forgiveness. For you are the Savior. You are the balm of Gilead. And you are the deliverer. You are everything. Everything, Lord. We need nothing in life besides you. You are complete and we are complete in you. Open our eyes that we might know the truth of our salvation. Thank you, Father. Say, children, go into another week. Go before us. Go with us. And also teach us to walk before you. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. 
We just lift up holy hands in your sanctuary. And we now bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.